Folks, listen up. I've got something crucial to share with you today. In this uncertain world, you need to be prepared for anything, especially when it comes to your health. That's where the wellness company comes in, offering you peace of mind in a box with their medical emergency kit. Picture this. You're faced with a medical emergency and you need quick, effective treatment. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit is like having a strategic arsenal of life-saving medications right at your fingertips. From proven treatments like ivermectin to generic Z-Packs and amoxicillin, this kit has got you covered. But that's not all. Every kit comes with a medical emergency guidebook, ensuring you have the knowledge to use these medications safely and effectively. It's like having a medical professional right there with you when you need it most. And here's the kicker. Use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health FFN. That's right, folks. 10% off, peace of mind in a box. Don't wait until it's too late. Get your medical emergency kit today and be ready for whatever comes your way. Stay safe, stay prepared with a wellness company. Again, use code FFN to get 10% off your medical emergency kit at twc.health FFN. Another episode of The Federalist Faction. I got Ian Blair coming on with us today. None of you probably know who he is because he does not have any social media. He's a guy who lives way off the grid. In fact, I found him on Lake Mead when I was down in Arizona. So I got to talking with him. His story just seemed absolutely incredible. And I was like, dude, you got to come on the show. So Super random, it'll be a little bit different today, but um, this guy has an incredible story to tell and I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we do that, you guys know we gotta pay some bills. So first and foremost, I wanna give a huge shout out to Mike Lindell um, with the MyPillow company, especially with all the crap that he's been going on with the FBI and them raiding his phone and all that stuff. It's just completely un-American, complete trash. And um, I just, That dude needs some help, and if you guys can support him through me, then great. If you guys just want to support him, go to his website. I don't care. We just got to stand behind these people that are being persecuted here in the United States today. So anyhow, the product is absolutely phenomenal in itself. In fact, the pillow I got, I'm not even kidding you. Like I remember hearing like these stories of like spouses stealing people's stuff. You know, that they get sent to them from like my pillow. And I was like, haha, I wonder if that actually happens. Not even kidding you. I got my pillow in the mail, and within a week, it's no longer my pillow. My wife totally took it. So it should be called my wife's pillow. But anyhow, um, I did get some uh, moccasins with them as well. And the moccasins, I tell you what, guys, like they're absolutely amazing. Nothing like sitting back by a fire with cold beer with the wings of an angel gracing your feet absolutely amazing also um a guy who has been with us forever is our gold guy um great dude if you need to talk about investment visit ourgoldguy.com and when you do that you can take care of your own financial responsibilities instead of leaving it up to the federal government to take care of you it is not their place it is your place and our gold guy can help Last but not least, I want you guys to check out Freedom First Apparel as well as the Freedom First Coffee. If you like waking up on wings of angels, you can go to sleep with those moccasins from my pillow, but you can wake up with Freedom First Coffee. Thomas Jefferson whispering those sweet nothings into your ear. 
If you use promo code FECTION at checkout, you can you get another 10% off. If you sign up for AutoShip, you can save even more. Um, so definitely check that out. It supports us. If you like what it is that we're doing at the Freedom First Network over here, definitely check that out. My promo code on all these sites is FACTION. So that's F-A-C-T-I-O-N if you guys did end up going to public school like myself. Well, with, uh, I guess, I've been prolonging this long enough. So with no further ado, welcome to the Federalist Faction. This ain't easy. We never promised that it was. I just, I just want you to be the best you can be. Love you. I hope you find this letter. Why I pull out? Because the Lord tore my heart out. Let me cover you, bruh, it's cold out. We're soldiers, but the older we get, the easier our shoulders give out. Headstrong and living dead wrong. Running through avenues you don't belong to. I gotta mention it's heart wrenching. It hurts to see you losing your grip. Starting to slip. Getting fast money, living too rich. Addicted to that quick fix. Check your heart like a Fitbit. Can you blame me? It's okay to hate me. You're outside the framing like a child's painting. Throw them sticks and stones. Yeah, you got a sick flow. Poison like skull and bones. I want you better, so I stand opposed. I don't give a damn about a gym bones I'm writing this letter to set the tone The pain's embedded but ain't set in stone Your stomach's sick cause you're missing home It was written we don't walk alone Oh god, I hope you pick up your phone today i found myself with my hands in my face i forgot i was running from this pain we're from poland so i guess i got used to the rain you said north dakota and i saw you packing your things i'm proud of you because you needed that change but i'm still stuck in my waist stuck in the maze digging my grave hurting my brain stuffing my nose with cocaine losing my hair like rogaine it's a lie when i say i'm okay i'm going insane i don't want to die with no name another hang around like a gold chain i don't want to play around no games go against the grain crashing waves i feel like superman when he lost lois lane now i'm super mad trying to find a better way but i'm super glad god gave me a brother like you man hope that you know that you know Open your eyes now, Jesus and me by your side now, we heard you cry out. 
Give me your cross before you die out. It's too heavy to bear it. Like Simon, I'll help you carry it. He'll take your sin, bludgeon, and bury it. We're not dungeon dwellers, more like caterpillars. Storms rage, so we seek shelters. But realize the sun's rays don't reach storm cellars. We survive to be more than just storytellers. This earth's a thorn in our side as it turns like propellers. One thing's for sure, this world's crazy and I ain't afraid to tell her. I love you, brother. I'm glad you read the letter. I hope our paths cross back together. We're two birds of a feather, like tight laces crisscross through leather. Two souls to walk bold no matter the weather. Remember and know we gotta surrender to grow. Our image was rendered to glow. Knowledge is power, but wisdom makes it flow. Wisdom makes it flow. Today, I got a really awesome guest uh, for you today. And that's actually kind of a funny story how we met. Um, I took a vacation down to Las Vegas. It was incredibly hot and obnoxious, but that's all right. You know, Nevada, Arizona in the dead of summer, you know, what, what better time to go than when it's 115 degrees out and I can feel the soles of my shoes melt to the pavement while the sole of my body leaves. But anyhow, went down, did some kayaking, met up with a gentleman by the name of Ian Blair. He was actually my, uh, kayaking guide to make sure that I didn't drown while I was out there because living up in North Dakota, we have no lakes and people tend to build their houses around stock ponds because it's as close as we can get to water. But regardless of that, Ian has agreed to come on. I kind of heard some people, you know, poking some jokes at him and all that good stuff. And this dude has traveled well over a thousand miles, started in Georgia and went to the Maryland, Pennsylvania border by foot. This guy's a complete animal, and if anything, we could definitely learn a thing or two from him on just getting out there, getting away from our screens. You know, I was kind of reading up on a few things, and the average person spends about seven hours in front of screens. And as horrible as that can be, maybe for our eyes or being able to sleep regularly or stuff like that, I think it goes a lot more further than that. It actually pushes us to become kind of a avatars of who we really are if we end up living only as we are on the screen we tend to lose our humanity into who we are we see it on twitter facebook all these social media sites where we end up just kind of throwing terms out there towards one another we cut each other down whenever we can we get these harsh one-liners and everybody's like oh that's great well i think that there's more to life in fact i know that there's life more to life than just those crazy one-liners and the things that happen around online and in order to kind of reset oneself, I think it's really cool to step out inside nature and kind of sort of be in tune with nature and to be able to leave your worries at the door, to put the phone down and to leave all that technical crap at the door. Like you don't need it. It's not something that's essential to life. And I really think that being out in nature, being able to get out and around actual people and experience those things with them is a huge part of nature. So had a cool conversation with Ian, and I figured why not bring him on. So here we go. Ian, how's it going, man? It is going well. It is a uh, beautiful Thursday, and everything is uh, pretty right in the world. So hi, how's it going? How's everything going here? That's awesome, man. You know, it's it's a gorgeous, like, 70 degrees out today, you know? it's we, we got grass here. I don't know what all you guys got going on down there. Still well up into the hundreds. 
Hey there, freedom-loving carnivores. It's Jeff Dornick from Freedom First Network, and I've got a message for you. Are you tired of feeling like your beef choices are under siege? Well, fellow patriots, it's time to fight back with Prepper All Naturals. That's right, folks. In a world where the beef industry is under constant attack, Prepper All Naturals is here to stand tall and proud as a veteran-owned beacon of quality, taste, and freedom. When the guys at Prepper All Naturals set out to provide you with the finest beef products, they knew they had a duty to defend America's beef legacy, and that's why we're proud to partner with them, bringing you the best of what this great land has to offer. Whether it's their succulent freeze-dried beef cubes or their premium freezer boxes packed with steaks and roasts, we're redefining what it means to enjoy beef today and tomorrow. And let me tell you folks, their freeze-dried beef isn't just delicious, it's built to last. With proper stores, their beef cubes can maintain their quality and freshness for up to a decade, ensuring you'll never have to compromise on taste or nutrition. But wait, there's more. They're not just in the business of selling beef. They're in the business of defending freedom. That's why they promise to never sell you anything less than 100% all-American natural beef. No lab-grown imposters, no experimental jabs, and certainly no compromises with the woke agenda. So, fellow beef enthusiasts, join us in our mission to protect America's beef legacy. Visit freedomfirstbeef.com and use code FFM for 15% off your order. Because when you choose Prepper All Naturals, you're not just eating well today, you're eating well tomorrow. And together... We'll ensure that beef remains a symbol of freedom for generations to come. Prep for all naturals, where beef meets freedom. Uh, yes, you spend uh, most days outside of work. I generally spend in the air conditioning at the moment. But uh, it has actually been pretty nice uh, with the monsoons they've hit here after you left. Uh, we didn't get the worst of the August heat, and we actually got quite a bit of rain here uh, coming in from July. And it's been in the low... Uh, hundreds high 90s here in vegas which is not so bad uh but the, it has shot up the humidity quite a bit Oof. so uh you know that's uh it's i i'm not a fan of that i'm more of a dry and warm kind of guy myself <laughs> I've been a bit everywhere so uh, <laughs> i don't blame you man yeah see i i live up here because i like to freeze to death you yeah. know so but yeah so let's just kind of start at the beginning of your life so i mean where were you born man Okay, well, I was born in the uh, southwest. Uh, I was born in uh, Lake Havasu, but we didn't live there at all. We uh, we moved around a lot when I was growing up. I haven't lived in uh, the same place very long my entire life, really. Uh, we spent some time uh, in Mississippi, Reno, Florida, uh, Chandler, Arizona. And the two longest places uh, we stayed when I was growing up was probably St. Cloud, Florida, and Prescott, Arizona. And I, I tend to consider Prescott, Arizona my hometown because I uh, graduated high school there. Uh, that's where I left uh, to enlist in the Army, and my dad and his wife still live there. So I, I, I always oh, wow. visit every now and then. So what was school like? Like, how did you, like, do you got friends? Like, I moved around a lot as a kid um, as well. Maybe not as much as you. I've, I've lived in about 10 or 12 different places. Mm -hmm. But it seems like I kind of, all the friends that were close to me, I kind of ended up keeping. I was fortunate enough for that. How how'd things work out for you? Uh, you know, I do have uh, a few friends uh, from when I lived in Florida. But... Um... It's uh, difficult uh, sometimes keeping in touch with people when you don't use a lot of social media. So, uh, you know, I don't really, um, if, if somebody's in my life, I, uh, they get a lot of attention. But other than that, it's kind of, you know, just you, you'd end up, you do end up losing connections when you, you do move around a lot. Yeah, you, d you don't have social media like 
well, not that I could find anywhere. Typically, I try yeah, to at least some of my guys, nothing. and I was like, I have holy nothing. crap, this dude is <laughs> There is, yeah. I mean, you might find some kind of report about me. I've looked myself up, and I found the address where I lived more than a decade ago, and that's the most recent thing I could find <laughs> about me on the internet. So I'm not exactly upset about that. That's To me, that's not a horrible way to live, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, and you know, yeah, as I say that, here I am with a show and all this. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I I understand the necessity of the world that we live in. I think technology is a double-edged sword, and there's good things that it can be used for, and there's bad things it can be used for. But it isn't inherently evil in itself. Right. It is just what it is, and what people decide to do with it is uh is is how it is how we can mistreat it or use it to our benefit. I, I totally agree with you. Like, it really, it kind of shocked me when I found out that it was like around seven hours that people spend in front of screens. And I was like, holy crap, that's nuts. But then, like, when I think about it, I, that's the thing what I do. As soon as I wake up for work, I'm in front of a screen. When I come so, home. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no. Well, when I come home and then I'm in front of a screen or I'm on my phone and stuff. And, like, I have this rule where on weekends or whatever, you know, I leave the phone up in the bedroom and that's kind of where it stays or whatever, you know, and the wife and I spend some time together. But I think like people are, have just gotten, I guess, rude to one another. Like we've, I think that screens have in a sense lost our politeness and our humanity to respect one another as human beings as something more than just an avatar. Yeah, I could definitely see that. There is uh, a, a lot of that because when uh, you don't have to look at somebody directly, you're not ex- able to experience uh, empathy or compassion for that person. Yeah. And if, if you don't uh, view them as a person anymore, it's a lot easier uh, to fuel hate or, uh, you know, un- unsavory uh, emotions like that. Yeah, totally agree, man. So, how old are you, just out of curiosity? Well, I'll be uh, 31 here soon. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, birthday's October in 1991. So. Perfect. So we're, we're close to the same age. So, yeah. so so you grew up around kind of the time that like the NES, like the Nintendo and the PlayStation were coming out. So was that something that really drew you in as a kid? Or were you kind of a kid that was always outside? Did you participate in a lot of sports or... So uh, this might uh, come as a shock to you, but uh, I was going to say earlier, when you were talking about averages on screen time, you know, seven hours. So basically, that means you have people who spend well above seven hours a day, and then you have people who spend well below seven hours a day. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, for the majority of my life, I would be one of those persons who had spent more than seven hours a day looking at a screen or sitting somewhere and being completely sedentary. You know, I've, uh, when I was a senior in high school, I weighed about uh, 300 pounds because all I did was uh, sit around playing video games, probably 10 hours a day uh, outside of class. <laughs> I, I would have never, I would have never guessed that. I know we don't have you on video, but yeah. he is kind of a pretty jacked dude. You know, like I got the arms of a three year old and he, he he's well fit i mean he's a kayak tour and stuff like that and he's done some incredible stuff so like what what made you i guess is wake up a, a derogatory term but like kind of what made you change well you know i i definitely think that um 
screens have their benefit, but at the same time, there needs to be um, what do you, uh, balance in everything, you know, in all, in all parts of life. And uh, when I was a senior in high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And this isn't what had changed me permanently, but uh, I had decided I wanted to go into the army and then I had to lose a whole bunch of weight just to get in. So I, I had to lose about 50 pounds uh, before the army would let me go to basic training. And then when I was in the army, I lost another 50 pounds in basic training. And that was about a hundred pounds over, you know, less than half a year. And wow. uh, what made you want to go into the army? Oh, well, I didn't know what to do with my life, and we uh, really didn't have a way for me to pay for college. So, you know, I, I didn't uh, want to take out a whole bunch of loans, and I figured that that would be a good way uh, to be able to pay for education, maybe figure out something I wanted to do. Plus, you know, I mean, it's a job. They take you. They'll take just about anybody as long as you can pass. <laughs> <laughs> crazy, though, man. I mean. Like from from having that sort of lifestyle to one day just be like, well, I guess maybe not one day, but to w wake up and be like, yeah, I'm going to join the army. And then to make that decision so strong within your being that you're like, okay, I got to lose this weight. You just start, you know, kicking butt and going out there and like doing all this stuff so that you're losing weight so that you can meet this criteria so that you can go and serve. That's, it's, that's a it's big decision, difficult. man. Yeah, it, it was. But at the time, it seemed like the best choice. And honestly, if I could i could do it all again and have the hindsight that i have now i i definitely would and i would make some different decisions but uh we'll talk about some more of that here as we go along <laughs> <laughs> so you went into the army so uh how long did you stay in the army what'd you do in the army well i was uh you know so I originally i actually wanted to go into the navy and uh they they wouldn't uh I, I did really well on my tests and everything, and I, I wanted to do a, a cool program. And then they told me that I was colorblind and that I didn't really apply for, uh, qualify for a lot of different positions. And then they were feeding me a whole bunch of garbage. So I was like, okay, well, I'll see what the Army has to offer. And they were like, oh, you could be a, a, a combat medic. And I decided that that seemed like an interesting uh, course of action. <laughs> so that's what I enlisted as. And I had a, uh, it's a very strange contract. It was only uh, two and a half years long. So it was two years, six months in length. And uh, I actually only served about two years and one month from what it says on my DD-214. I was looking at that the other day. I had to go to the DMV. Um, uh, when I was in, I was about halfway through my medic school mm -hmm. and I uh, had a phone call. My uh, little brother, he, uh, his heart had stopped on the school bus. He was a senior in high school. We were about 18 months apart, very close. And uh, it really uh, messed me up for a really long time. And uh, so they took me out of medic school training and they sent me to a different part of the base to do a different kind of job training. But I just kept having a lot of uh, I guess psychological issues. You know, the military, especially in a training environment is probably mm -hmm. not the best place to be recovering from that kind of uh, grief or depression in your life. You know, they don't... Right. You don't really have a lot of space or time to to deal with that kind of stuff, and they just want you to go on and, and do what you're supposed to do. So 
uh, I was in this kind of limbo state for about 10 months of my enlistment, and then they finally um, sent me back to uh, combat medic school. I didn't know it at the time, but over the course of this period, I had uh, developed, uh, you know, I'd, I'd gotten uh, bipolar, uh, so I was becoming manic during different parts and uh, really depressed during other parts. And it was one of these uh, manic periods that I decided that uh, I could go back into training and uh, I wanted to go back into combat medic school. And then I actually graduated from combat medic school and I got uh, stationed at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, kind of uh, <laughs> not really the best place in the, the military, not necessarily the worst, but it's a training base and I was on an engineering unit. I spent most of my time in the uh, motor pool, uh, changing out treads on vehicles. And then I did a little bit of work in the hospital doing patient intake, you know, like a sick call, hey, why are you here? Take somebody's information, their pulse, heart rates, uh, breathing, and then send them to the PA or, uh, you know, put them in line where they need to go, triage, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a breakdown while I was there, and then they ended up giving me a uh, medical discharge and uh, you know it was interesting for a while and I kind of drifted around from place to place mm-hmm. uh, I went from Missouri to Arizona and I stayed with my dad for a while but uh, it's a little bit difficult living with him sometimes and sure. so I would bounce around and my mom that year had wanted me to come visit for Christmas and so I uh, flew on up. Uh, she and her husband were managing grocery stores in uh, rural Alaskan villages. And I flew on up to this little village called King Cove. And I was there for Christmas. It's in uh, southwest Alaska, about 640 miles southwest Anchorage down the Aleutian Peninsula. Okay. And it's uh, right before it turns into a chain of islands that stretches all the way out almost to Russia. And yeah, I was in this little fishing village and I had met this girl there and she moved back to Arizona with me and we went back every Christmas. What what made you move back to Arizona? Did you just not care for Alaska or? Oh, no, I I was just up there to visit my mom for Christmas. Oh, okay, sure. You know, I wasn't uh, planning on living there, but I always did like being in Arizona. So she had come back with me, and we would uh, travel every Christmas to go see her family. Uh, for a while, I worked, uh, drove ambulances uh, when I got out, and we were living in Prescott Valley. I remember rent then was, uh, for a 500-square-foot place, it was $475 a month. <laughs> That's what I was paying for rent in 2013. Uh, oh, how the was, times have changed. Yeah, it was like something less, it was like a dollar something a gallon for gasoline, you know? <laughs> That's, uh, That's so just thinking crazy. about that right now. That's so nuts. Uh, so I drove ambulances for a while, and then I started using my GI Bill. And uh, at first, I really just used it uh, because they would pay me to go to school. And so I, I took all kinds of different classes and, you know, just did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, some business and some other things. And then I eventually got it really. Did you in anything or was there? Uh, I really. Kind of go to go. 
I in the beginning I just went to went and then I just really got interested in uh, science classes once I started taking them and I almost had enough time left to get an associate's of science, but then I ran out of uh, uh, government money, so I just stopped going to school because once again uh, I had learned at one point that taking on debt is never a really great idea so i was just like you know what that's uh, i don't need any loans that's not for me if i was meant to finish my education it would have happened <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh some of that uh we ended up after i had run out of school we ended up moving back and uh we lived a year in her village uh it was the town of king cove a really small place like a population of 1100 people year round hey. so like you my know, average that's like the average size of my city up here in north dakota yeah only way in or out of that place boat or plane you know so it's uh very remote it's very beautiful though i will tell you one thing i mean alaska uh it's probably one of the most beautiful places that i've seen on the planet just because you know you get away from the cities just a little bit and then there's no sign of people if you go in mm -hmm. the right place and i think that that's one of the most um detrimental uh, experiences going out in nature is that you just start seeing power lines and garbage and it's it starts to kind of ruin the experience because there's nothing quite like people to uh, to mess things up you know unfortunately <laughs> as it is uh, but uh, we ended up after four years together that um, the girl and I had split she stayed there in Alaska and uh, I moved down to Montana I was actually I was visiting my mom again. Her and her husband were uh, running a, well, she was running a sleep number store. And uh, I moved down there, found a job landscaping, started renting a room from somebody. Oh, man. And I did that for about seven months. I was in Great Falls. And uh, I visited Glacier National Park twice, and it was just unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah, it is beautiful. That's I just got back from there about last week. Well, not necessarily from Glacier, but... I took the bike over to uh, Beartooth Pass and rode through that and uh, some of the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming and stuff. And that is just amazing. I've ridden through the glacier and uh, going to the Sun Road and stuff like that. And that stuff takes your breath away, man. Yeah, Dude. It, uh, it really does. <laughs> Landscaping's intense, man. Props to you. Like, those uh, guys are animals. Like, yeah. Uh, so I, it was funny because uh, when I was living there, I didn't have a car. And I just had a bicycle and I would actually bicycle six and a half miles to work and then do a full day of landscaping and then bicycle six and a half miles home. And other than being on the Appalachian Trail and maybe one time in the Army, that was probably the most uh, physically fit I was in my life just because just inherently to stay alive, you know, just to do my job. It was, it was going to happen. Oh, and I, yeah, those... I actually got calluses on my hand for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're throwing brick around your little uh... fabric. You're pushing sand you know like yeah we did um uh, sprinkler systems mostly so it was digging ditches and then working in the mud and laying line and then laying nope. down sod and it was a uh, quite a lot of work uh, i <laughs> learned how to use a shovel too which was a lot of fun <laughs> uh, i know that that area of, of labor very very well hi those guys i tip my hat to them they're animals i get out there and get yeah. after it so uh 
And so after uh, Montana, let's see, I moved back to uh, Arizona for a little bit, and I was uh, working for this fella as a, um, I did, he had his own private business, and he manufactured granite countertops and installed them in uh, very nice homes. And I did that for about three or four months. And uh, I had this incident happen on the job, and then I parted ways uh, with the owner. And that was actually when I uh, moved out to Vegas. And once again, I moved out. Um, that was funny. I, I, I probably get a lot of this from my mother because she moves around everywhere. I went to go visit her and her husband again. They're living in Vegas this time, and she's driving <laughs> uh, long-distance trucks for night transportation. And that is uh, quite the change from being yes. part of like stores and owning sleep yeah. numbers and, and stuff. And in that time period, in between the time I had seen her last from Montana to when I was in uh, Vegas, there, uh, she had also ran a store in Hawaii, uh, same company that was the Alaska Commercial Store. They said that they were done with the business and they said, hey, you want to come? on one of our stores in Hawaii instead. And they were like, yeah, sure, why not? That sounds great. And so they did that for like a year and then they uh, stayed in uh, Costa Rica for a little while and yeah. uh, helped this guy with his bed and breakfast on the beach. And then they were there in Vegas. And uh, that was when I applied. I, I started looking for jobs when I was visiting, visiting them because uh, Vegas seemed like an interesting place, a lot of opportunities. One of the biggest cities I'd lived in at the time as an adult. And I found a job, customer service, working for PlayStation. And uh, so I was in a call center uh, through Sykes, and their client was uh, PlayStation. And basically, I would handle about 50 to 65 phone calls a day regarding people's uh, problems with their PSN accounts, their PlayStations, games they purchased, uh, setting their stuff up for service, questions they had about products. Dude. A lot of it, like 40% oh, of the, the phone calls. Uh, were angry mothers calling in about why PlayStation was stealing their money. And it would usually be like, ma'am, 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 no, no, it's not PlayStation, it's your shitty children. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, like, I would have to get, convince them, go through all these steps, and I could see uh, the console that purchases were made off of, so we would just let them know that uh, if they would read us back the serial number, like, I could confirm that that was where the purchases were made, and, like, they were like, Oh, so it was bought off this right here. I was like, yeah, and it says, can you confirm your card number? Yeah, it was that too. <laughs> I could even show them where it is on the PlayStation. Oh. And so it was always a lot of fun ruining this little kid's day for buying like V-Bucks <laughs> or, uh, you know, FIFA soccer points or two uh, basketball, whatever, uh, just all kinds of oh, crazy, ridiculous like, things. I could never get into like the service side of like helping people. Like I just, I'm not a... I mean, I can sit down and talk to just about anyone, but there's a point in time where my patience, I'm just like, yep, you're done. And yeah. Need to part ways, man. I I don't uh, I don't blame you there. You know, uh, I learned really quickly that there's a lot of nasty people out there, and I always <laughs> thought that I had it particularly bad sometimes. But most of my coworkers at uh, Sykes, they were African American, and there's a lot of horribly racist people out there. And Ooh. if I was any one of those people, I uh, 
the things that they would be called daily, uh, to have the kind of willpower to put up with something like that, I have no idea how somebody would have that kind of patience because I would not, um, I would not accept accept that kind of uh, treatment from anybody. Yeah, so. yeah. If I, I had one guy get mad at me, and, and when I was, you know, working out Walmart, I was an incredible cart pusher, if you ask me. <laughs> some guy told me i was pushing him wrong and i shouldn't be pushing him like that and i just oh, the last thing i said to him is if i wanted your opinion i would give it to you <laughs> parted our ways and that was the end of that i was like yeah, no, I'm good. Sure. i went into the oil field and people were a lot more like that so i was like i can deal with these people these are my yes people. Absolutely. So um, it was actually, so we're almost to the part of the story where I become more of an outdoors person. I did a little bit outdoor stuff when I lived in Alaska, but uh, not really as much. And when I was living here in Vegas the first time as uh, working at customer service, uh, spending all day inside at a desk, you know, I'd started to gain weight again. I probably got up to about uh, 245 or 250 was the highest I'd been again since the army. And uh, I was getting really depressed with my life. And I was having a really hard time waking up every day, going to work, and just did not want to. Do you mind talking about that just a little bit? Like, what about it do you think led to the depression and like, I'm curious as to why it is that you moved around so much. Well, you know, uh, I had a really hard time uh, dealing with things with loss. And it was kind of a defense mechanism to just uh, run away or go somewhere else uh, instead of having to directly deal with that. Because at this point in my life, uh, the last time I had lived in, Las Vegas, I still hadn't dealt with, you know, really losing my brother and, uh, you know, all the kind of things that had happened to me in between in that time in the military and uh, throughout my life. And I had just found that uh, running away had always been an easier kind of solution. And so I think that that is one of the things that uh, had, had led me to just keep bouncing from place to place. Sure. And so here I was, uh, really not sure what to do with my life, very depressed. Uh, you know, I had had high periods and low periods with my uh, bipolar depression. And I had this, uh, I had these really good friends here that I had made. And I did, I did love living here. And I was a very good place to be. But the kind of place I was in my head and in my uh, life, it was not, I wasn't in a good place for anybody. And so I ended up taking a whole bunch, believe it or not, of uh, some psychedelics one night. And uh, by the end of the night and the early morning, I had uh, this very distinct thought to myself. I had thought, uh, you know, when was the last time I was really, uh, really happy? with life. And it was actually uh, a a little while ago at that point, almost two years uh, that summer that I had uh, moved back to Arizona. And when I was uh, working at that granite counter shop, every day after work, I would hike around this lake back home called Watson Lake. And it was about a 4.6, 4.7 mile loop around this lake through these really beautiful granite dells. 
And, you know, I, I probably hike this trail maybe a hundred times over four months because I, I do it every single day after work and sometimes sure. the day I had off. And I thought, you know, I was really, really, regardless of what had happened at that job and what had caused me to leave the area, I was really happy uh, inside and with myself when I was outside every day. And I had thought to myself that morning uh, when I came to from my uh, psychedelic coma, uh, you know, how can I uh, replicate that? How can I be outside for a super extended period of time and uh, get in a better place? And so I started Googling, like, uh, how to spend lots of time outside, you know, like, I get it to a point, like I, I've had on, um, so I, I live, I'm very privileged, I guess I should say. Like, I've lived yeah. a very good life. I've never struggled with depression or anything like that. And that doesn't mean, that does not mean that I haven't gone I mean, we through all, We all have our demons. Everybody. Right. And everybody. The, the more I, I end up studying into depression, and like, this is where, I, like, this just really fascinates me about you is because um, depression seems to correlate very much so with alcoholism. Simply because once someone becomes depressed, they tend to seclude themselves from other people. And when they mm -hmm. seclude themselves from other people, they end up coming to the realization that they really don't have friends. And that furthers them down into depression, which secludes Absolutely. them from more people. And it ends up being kind of um, a sort of spiral. And in order to break that spiral is an incredible feat of not only courage, because when you lost your brother, like that's that's your whole world being tipped upside down. Like that's part of your foundations upon which you built your life being ripped out from under you. And now you're caught in this sort of um, void. And it's like, well, what, what do I do now? Do I, do I run away? Do I face this? Do I hide it? Do I just try not to recognize what it is that's going on? And um, to tell you what, for you trying to keep continuing to break that cycle by, you know, like, realizing that you were the happiest outside or coming to the realization that these were the things that I have to change in my life. Like that, that is not a minimal feat by any means. I mean, it's, it's tough to break that cycle. No, uh, you know what? And I'm glad that you point out that. And I really, uh, do agree. It is tough to break that cycle. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, necessarily, uh, have any formal religious beliefs, but I will tell you uh, using uh, our English, the God's honest truth, I really do believe that uh, psychedelics have a, a way to be able to help people look past the things that they are currently dealing with to see uh, what they really need to see about themselves. So uh, something that is popularly talked about is, uh, you know, like ego death or things like that but what what they allow you to do is it, it strips the the lens that you use to look at yourself so we all look at ourselves uh through a certain lens you know like uh the rose-colored glasses of the past and you only see yourself through this lens because your psyche can't handle looking at you as you really are we don't like taking that long hard look at ourselves as we really are because it bothers us and so we set up defense mechanisms that kind of just make it you know you look at it and it's like the picture changes to what you want it to look like because it makes the brain happy and it makes you feel comfortable but it's it's not uh necessarily 
uh, what's really there. And so when you, you really need help and you, you, you don't have time to afford uh, lots of therapy and uh, psychology and, and things like that, it, it, I'm not saying that uh, these things don't need to be used in a safe setting, but at the same time, it was uh, without something like that uh, to help me on my way, I don't know if I would have uh, been able to make the kind of changes necessary in my life that I really uh, needed to to help me on my path to where I am today. Um, there's a place down south, and I always forget the name of it. Um, down in, I think it's South America or Central America, that a lot of veterans go to um, in regards to psychedelics. Yeah, they probably go on ayahuasca trips. Ayahuasca. with shamans. Yeah. Yes, it's, and that is a, and that's you know what. I strongly believe that that is a good thing, too, because those people have a lot of experience in that. And if you don't have uh, an, already a deep understanding of what psychedelics can do to you, it is better to have a guided experience in order to best because it's not a drug that should be used as um for fun or a party it, it's 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 like taking something that you really need because you're deeply troubled uh psychically and and, and emotionally scarred you know it's not something that uh is is meant to be used just for joy or pleasure i have done a interview with uh carlin borosanko and uh, she's a psychologist that was on dave rubin's podcast and uh, she ended up coming on here and we ended up talking about ayahuasca and what it does to that. And I've been, I'm not to the point where I think that I can speak intelligently about it, mm -hmm. but I do mm -hmm. have some books that I've been going through about it. And it does seem that there, there is more to life than what it is that we see. Like I think oh, that our eyes yes. only pierce a certain part of the veil and I'm starting to sort of understand the psychedelics may be in a sense, an ability to see through that veil or to delve into a deeper depths of oneself. Now, um, myself, I am, I'm a Bible believing Christian. I'm a conservative. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, we're, I, we're all, we're all one in the same, you know? Right. And I, I find my comfort in stuff, of course, within religion and stuff like that, you know, and um, this, this, but there is something to psychedelics that I don't think like that I don't think has properly been investigated and I think has been hindered inappropriately to do so because um, people like Jordan Peterson, he's had people on very much so that talk about psychedelics and how they enter the, the brain and how they allow um, certain chemicals to connect so that you can actually become more in tune with how it is that your heart beats and mm -hmm. everything like that. Now, granted, I don't know where that stuff's a little over my head. Like I said, I can't speak intelligently about it, but yeah, there is I, definitely something within that experience that is beyond our realm of nature. I would completely understand because in, in ways it changes uh, the way in which you're capable of perceiving things and all life is around us is what we're able to perceive. And, it, you know, just because this is the way we see it does not mean that this is the, the world that really is what is around us. And it, there are some really interesting things, but in the end, that is what got me on that journey. Sure. And so I, 
I headed out. I stayed for a while. I uh, saved up a little bit of money, paid off my debts, and I headed out to Kentucky for a month. My uh, mother wanted to see me again, and this time she's living in Kentucky, and they've got this log cabin in uh, South Central Kentucky in this town called Columbia. And I'll tell you, it's my first time in Kentucky, and it is absolutely gorgeous. The green rolling hills, yep. the forests, the... I mean, it is a really beautiful uh, part of the country, and I enjoyed it very much there in my time. Uh, it was about a month that I spent with them, and then they drove me uh, about 10 hours down to Springer Mountain in Georgia. And we actually went to the visitor center at Amakaloa Falls, and that's where I actually started my Appalachian Trek, which is technically uh, 9 or 10 miles before the actual start of the, the trail. And that's I... Uh, that's so just, crazy and that's so cool like you that you point out kentucky itself because like nobody says hey i want to take a vacation to kentucky dude it's, like, it's beautiful it's, really a it's thing. gorgeous i think every place kind of has like a certain charm like I, I give north dakota a lot of crap i do but you know coming home sometimes from vacations or places like that like coming home in the midsummer when the wheat is coming up and you got sunflowers on the side and you got big open sky and just an open road with nobody around you at all like there's really a poetic charm to it that's just speaks to the heart a little bit you know i um other than places that have been ruined by people i have not been to a single part of this world that isn't truly beautiful there right. everywhere you go it doesn't matter if the people think of it as a nasty place because they don't like the people that live there Everywhere you go, if it's untouched by humans, there is beauty and nature all over this planet. And it, it it's it's worth, you know, just even going out and finding every anywhere anybody lives who could be listening to this show. Uh, somewhere nearby, you have someplace beautiful to go check out because unless people have destroyed it, it should still be out there somewhere. Totally agree. So, so let, let's hit this Appalachian. Yeah, yeah. So, um here i was at emma Kaloa falls they had dropped me off and i just get started on the trail i actually forget to get a uh, tag that said i was there at the start of the trail so i didn't get one of these until i almost got off near the halfway point um but what did your my, parents think about this uh, i i didn't even know i was missing one to be honest with you i didn't know what even told me that it was a thing so i actually um i didn't look up anything about this whole process before i started i just <laughs> learned about the trail and i got a book that showed all the mile markers and then i learned about how to use my outdoor gear and i just trained by going on hikes with my full pack and i didn't look up anything about any of the the areas the i didn't want to know anything i wanted it to all be a uh, surprise you yeah. know what i mean just an, just a new you are my un, people. I un, un, so un, uninterrupted experience but i was also prepared in that i could set up my gear i could set up my hammock my rain tarp i knew how to use my cooking gear i could at least get the basics of starting a fire i wouldn't master that though until i was actually on the trail uh doing it every night and so the very first day I actually get this uh at amakaloa falls there's about a 400 foot uh stairwell that goes from the base of the falls to the, to the top and this is the start of the original trail and uh 
it's it's steep like it's just a stairwell a wooden stairwell that goes up the side of this falls and i had overpacked i had overestimated how much stuff i would need and i had too much weight i was carrying about 42 pounds worth of stuff on my back in the beginning and i get to the top of these falls and i was almost like well time to quit i'm tired <laughs> is, it, is it too late to go back now and i was like yeah it's too late to go back <laughs> so I just kept on trekking forward. I, I made sure to drink lots of water there, but honestly, I was overweighted. I, I was wearing too much stuff because I didn't really understand until later that um, really, that even in 50, 60 degree weather, if you're super active, you really hardly need any clothes. Like you almost, you I could have hiked naked out there at 55, 60 degree weather. I mean, you really, and that would be the most comfortable thing. And that's actually why I started wearing kilts uh, now. And that's actually what inspired me here after uh, hiking this trail. Are you so, familiar with Wim Hof? Who's that? He's a gentleman who actually climbed Everest in nothing but shorts. And like a rough oh, t-shirt most of the that's way. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely check him out. Wim Hof is he's a stud, dude. You, okay. you remind me a lot of that. Like when you're when you say, like, uh, yeah. I can just hike this trail it, naked. It, I was like, if, Wim Hof. If you've improve. got your uh, metabolism burning and going, you're putting off heat. Your body is is burning fuel and creating energy. And if you have clothes on, you might actually start overheating based off of you know your body's metabolism. So you want to dress right mm -hmm. based off of your body, the temperature. And, you know, what kind of activity you're doing at what level it's uh, everybody is kind of it's not like one size fits all, but most people have a general area where they should be at. And so he might be able to do that because he might be burning real hot. You know what I mean? And he's burning so damn hot that if he's wearing clothing, he is literally going to have a heat stroke or heat exhaustion because Oof. it would be deadly to him. So his, his Nick, his nickname is the Iceman. And I've actually, the wife and I both have implemented a lot of the stuff that he ends up doing. So he does a lot of um, really deep uh, breathing techniques mm -hmm. that allow oxygen to just flood through the bloodstream. And that alone helps raise your, your temperature. Not only that, but mm -hmm. then um, visualizing you're in a different place than what it is that you are. And I oh yeah. Well, that helps putting your mind in a different place. <laughs> yep, exactly. So, um, there's that. And then, uh, like when I take a shower now, it's cold only it's as cold yeah. as possibly can be ice baths all the time. You know, you, you, you acclimate yourself to the certain weather and there's really good attributes to that. So like, I think the human body has the ability to burn enough adrenaline for like 50 some lifetimes. And when, you know, when primal man was primal, they mm -hmm. were able to, you know, they were being chased by predators or stuff like that. And it actually, in, you know, your body induced that adrenaline into your body and it helped clean out like a lot of art arteries and stuff like that. But it also helped push oxygen into your mind and allowed you to remember things a lot better. It helped you to think a lot faster and stuff like this. And ever since I've been doing the, the cold showers, which as soon as you get that, you know, you got you kind of kind of catch your breath or, well, you know what that's all about at Lake. Yeah. Mead, right? Oh yeah. I, as soon as you hit that, that pushes some adrenaline into your body and that adrenaline helps that blood flow into your mind. And the longer you stay in it, it has so much health benefits. Like it changes your white fats into brown fats, helps them easier to burn for a lot of energy and stuff like that. He's uh Wim Hof is a stud man. I'll, I'll send you the book when we're done with the, 
the interview. I, uh, I would love that. I actually uh, go swimming every single morning in the river before I start my tour or start work, and it's 52, 53 degrees. I would completely agree with that. It feels, and in the beginning, it was too cold, and then after time, it's just like I needed yep. it. You know, it's honestly like, the best thing for good. one of the best things. For yeah, you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I definitely know what you mean there. So that very first day, it was uh, nine miles to the water source. I actually ran out of water and I almost had a heat stroke and I was almost dead on the very first day that I hiked this trail. <laughs> I uh, I was about maybe a tenth of a mile from the water, and I was literally like I had my shirt off, my pants were zipped down to the shorts, and I was like I would like pick up my backpack and walk a little bit, and then sit down under the shade, and then just sit there. I, I didn't have anything to drink, and eventually I came across the water, and I probably drank maybe a gallon of water before I left. And um, so to you this have day, to boil the water up there. Like, did you have to boil it, treat it, or anything? Oh, like that, or um, just... so what I used all the time, and this isn't a plug or anything, but it was a Sawyer uh, gravity filter, and I had no problem with it. And I had devised a system to get it to feed from the gravity filter right into my uh, camelback, into my pack. I had just had okay. a, a a different attachment that will allow me to hook up directly and it would go from the filter directly into my camel back so i wouldn't even have to take it out of my backpack and that was the most efficient way i had found to uh rehydrate uh out on the trail and then i would usually also fill up a water bottle for cooking and and drinking water at camp at night like a one liter bottle and so i would usually use about 500 milliliters or 600 milliliters to cook with every night and uh you know you want to drink a lot of water when you go refill every night too that was a big key you learned is to carry dehydrated foods because mm -hmm. out there on the east coast there are so many damn rivers you do not have a hard time getting water i mean you can get it out of anything you can filter it just make sure it's clean you know and mm -hmm. as long as it's running it's fairly cold and it's uh, clear is if you filter it, you're probably safe to drink it, you know, unless there's some kind of dead thing uh, very close upstream to where you just pulled out that water or there's some kind of human uh, waste that you can't see flowing through that thing. It's fairly safe. And the farther that I learned that the farther that water travels through rock, uh, the safer it is to drink to. And you always want to find a spigot that faces downwards. If it just, if it's not allowing things into it from the atmosphere and if it faces just downward and it has a good rate of flow it's probably fairly safe water to drink coming out of any kind of natural spring or formation okay so um that first day i had met some interesting people and they helped me out because i was a little uh, woozy from being severely dehydrated and i kind of just started going along i met three different distinct groups of people my first day and I didn't travel with any of them uh, except the last one it was a group of five people that I'd met and I stayed with them for about 300 miles or so until I don't remember if it was two or 300 miles it was the Gatlinburg area um, Dollywood it was, okay. I think it was in Tennessee and uh, then I had parted ways with them I hitchhiked out of town early in the morning and just decided it was best to uh, start off on my own again, and I met some other people, traveled with them for a while, and uh, then we split ways, and uh, really what I was, I didn't know what I was looking for, and so I had it. I really needed to be out there 
uh, by myself, you know, and in the beginning, I didn't, I wasn't really ready for that because I was still hesitant and maybe nervous about being out there. I mean, I'll tell you, uh, some of the first times hiking uh, through the forest and you hear a noise and you're like, holy shit, what the hell is that? And it's like a squirrel <laughs> goes and runs by and it's like, oh God, okay, it's just a squirrel. <laughs> you know, it's not like anything. You, but you start to learn like what noises, what animals make. Like a bear isn't going to make a, just a tiny little crick like it's not going to break tiny and if it, it's going to be loud and right. bigger animals make bigger sounds smaller animals make smaller sounds and you kind of learn to identify which kind of animals are making which sounds out there so you don't have to be as you know as, as afraid but in the beginning there it was a lot of like you know you almost shit your pants a couple of times because you hear something break next to you and it's like a deer or just you know something running by a badger or something dude i totally get it like uh, i remember when i was a young kid and when dad you i grew up hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff and dad took me out hunting i was pretty little but i, I go out there at like just the butt crack of dawn and it's still dark out and all that yeah so you can't see anything yeah, yeah. well we go out there you know i exit the pickup and we're all walking for a while and all of a sudden just all these like little yellow eyes start peering out from the bushes and i was like no i'm good like bambi is safe today she hired some mercenaries yeah, himself, for sure. <laughs> dad's just like it's just a bunch of coyotes like chill out you're fine yeah you know sure. but it's so unknown Yes. Yeah. When you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, when you're faced with the unknown, sometimes the first uh, instinct is actually fear. So it, it is a very common uh, experience when you're faced out there with the unknown. But once you start knowing, uh, you know, the world opens up and you become less afraid. And that is um, that's not just being outside in the forest. That's with everything. You know, right. if you encounter something in your life and you don't know anything about it or you don't know anything about that person, your first instinct is to be afraid. But the more you learn and the more you know, the less you will fear and, and the more reasonable uh, uh, interactions uh, people end up having with one another uh, just because they replace that fear with knowing, just like being uh, scared out there in the forest, you know, it's, it's no different. Uh, but my time out there alone was what really uh, triggered a lot of my changes. And I remember one of the first places I stopped uh, when I was traveling by myself was this um, little place in Virginia. And I actually wasn't um, going to be there long. I was just, I had been on the trail two months and I was just stopping into the post office because I needed a package that had been delivered. So you see early on in my hike, um, I had had an iPod shuffle and I was like, I put like five, 600 songs on. I was like, I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this thing. You know, I'm going to really, yeah. uh, you know, because I like music and I figured I'd, music would be great while I was hiking. I did that at home and I was doing all that kind of stuff and I figured it'd be great out here. Uh, but the world had a different uh, reality, had a different kind of plan for me. So um, when I started the the first the third night uh, when I was with that group of five people, we had rented this cabin and they came and got our laundry and I gave them all my laundry. And then I took a nice bath and the lady came back and she brought us our laundry and I'm going through my stuff and uh, my iPod shuffle with all my songs on it was in my pants pockets that I gave her. <laughs> so uh, it went through the wash and then the dryer and it was completely ruined and I had no music. Uh, and I kept asking my dad, I was like, hey, dad, would you please send me some music? And <laughs> I was like, can you just send me another iPod, damn it? <laughs> and he refused. So for the first two months, um, I, 
I actually spent um, all of my time um, just talking to myself or whistling or listening to the natural world around me when I was hiking. Yeah. And uh, believe it or not, I mean, I'm actually glad that I had not had my iPod because there are sounds and experiences that yeah. I would have completely missed. And there are things about myself that I wouldn't not have known because when you have all that time to just talk to yourself, like you got to enjoy your own company and you got to get to know who you really are. And it is a really good opportunity when there's nobody else around and no, and you're forced to, you get to take one of those hard long looks at yourself and this is a way that you can kind of examine yourself without the use of psychedelics but it's a, a long process of being alone for and being sequestered and most people don't have you know being in a city i mean there's people all around all the time all you know it's it's very difficult to do unless you're you know out alone by yourself it takes a lot of um patience with yourself to be alone that much and a lot of mental willpower. Oh yeah. Um, I was trying to look up his name. He's the founder of jujitsu and he had uh Ricks and Gracie. That's his name. He had Ricks and Gracie on his show. And um, Ricks and Gracie, when he was just a little kid, he was brought to, you know, his sensei and, you know, his mom was like, they were not a rich family. They were pretty dirt poor. And she was paying this money for him to do this jujitsu. And she <laughs> dropped him off and sensei would have him, sit in front of a mirror and then she'd come to pick him up and he'd still be sitting in front of the mirror. And after about like, I think it was like a week or a week and a half. She's like, I am paying all this money for you to teach my kid like martial arts. And this is what you're doing. And he's like, the first part is you have to know yourself. And man, the, the, the ability for like, gosh, he was like a little kid, like seven, eight years old. And he had more of a grasp of who he was than I think most adults do today. Just no. the ability to think for himself and to control himself and to have the mind to know what his next move will be. You know, there is a um, there's a lot of things in this world that can give you uh, an advantage to the kind of world that we live in and knowing yourself is probably not only the most important thing you can do for yourself. It's the most important thing you can do in life. If you ever want to get ahead, because, uh, yeah. when you know yourself, you are victorious in most of your pursuits, you know, you have to really know who you are and know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know, know where you can do best know how to apply yourself. It, it's not an easy thing and no. it, it to be able to learn that lesson at a young age is very very beneficial because it's not something that most people learn in this kind of world anymore unless uh through happenstance or through some kind of mentor because it's most people are very consumed with electronics and screens and you just don't have the the time anymore to do that naturally it's not something that we find in society today it's uh and it's not something that's necessarily popular so it's not mm -hmm. something that a lot of people get into or, or do well, uh, you think about it though man like we live super busy lives i mean there's a reason why fast food chains are oh, as yeah. huge as they are is because everybody wants to do something and they want it done really now and to take the time to know yourself i mean that takes an incredible immense amount of time to just yes. sit there and contemplate and think and like, uh, I, I, I'm not as crazy as you, so I, I'm a little lazy and I, I, I take the motorcycle out, but the, the motorcycle I had, 
um, had no radio, no, nothing electronic or anything like that. But the the way that the engine moved in the middle of nowhere, just taking it down like a two lane road with nobody else around is some of the deepest thoughts and the deepest contemplations I have ever had within my own life. And I, I know I'm way better for it because I was forced to come to grips with who I was. And, you know, if you look back to some of the Stoics, like Socrates, like Socrates stated, like to know thyself is the beginning of all wisdom. And there is some serious truth to that because how do you explain, like so many, everybody wants to change the world. Everybody wants to be the next big change, but how can you be the next big change if you can't even take care of yourself? Yeah, it's, it is very, and you know, your experiences out there, your meditations on the road, they're no different than my meditations in the forest or, or wherever I've been in the world. It's all, we all find our places and our zones that take us to where we need to be. And it's usually someplace quiet and mm -hmm. someplace or something that we could get into the zone and block everything else out and you get into this uh meditative state where you know it's it's just you and your thoughts and yep. whatever else you have going on and you're kind of it's like a flow like you're no longer yeah. a person you're more like water and you can go with the flow and you you can easily slide in and out of whatever you're trying to do or you can come crashing down and it's it's a beautiful state of mind it really mm -hmm. is uh something different there i think there is something to that too like the way like i know i mentioned the engine and, and that sounds dumb and like the the wind i'm sure like out in the nature and stuff like that or even like the repetitive motion of your steps as you're trekking it has a certain like beat or um something that synchronizes your mind to that concept mm -hmm. that puts you into that certain amount of trance. Absolutely. Like, pe people think, you know, that might be it, a joke. It could be a hope, sound. But... It could be the yeah. motor. It could be the footsteps falling. It, it could be uh, the raindrops outside mm -hmm. or the dripping of a leaky faucet. I mean, it, it's something that you focus on so intently that it, um, you know, it, it puts you in that kind of state. And it's, it, and it's no joke. You know, like you, uh, you look at like when you go to a concert, like this person goes up on stage and he starts playing a certain beat of music or whatever. And everybody is there in that moment and acting in a sense, in the same motion, going along with the same beat. And it's almost a sort of, um, sort of a kind of religious experience to be in tune with that at that period of time. And the same, you know, goes for that engine. And I think the same even goes for in sports. Like I'm a huge hockey guy. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. When you see like the 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 attackers or you know the front men, they when they go forward, they can't cross that offsides line until the puck has crossed that line. But when you look at the hockey puck, when the guy, you know, the center guy has it, when he crosses that line with the puck, like their blades from the other skaters on the left and the right side of the rink, they're like within milliseconds of that guy who's in the center. Like they're just in this perfect synchronicity with one another. They're in their flow of their zone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're all moving together in in sync, and it's a uh, it is a it's a beautiful thing to behold. And you can do it as a team or a part of a concert, or you can find that in your own thing or your own hobby, even if it's absolutely. by yourself or with others. And I, yeah, I I definitely strongly believe in that. So um, where where was? Oh yes. Yeah, so I had uh, your, your I was, dad I was, just rejected you that. Yeah. So he finally, after two months, had sent it, and this was why I was in that town to pick up the uh, to pick up the package. 
and uh, this uh, nice officer gave me a ride to the post office. And unfortunately, it had just closed, like right when we got there. And like, I so I had to stay this night in this town because I now had a package here, and it wasn't going to be open until the next day. And so I go to this gas station and I start looking for things. Like the officer told me that there's this uh, summer camp and that they are always looking for people. And so they had some flyers there and they wanted uh, people to do work because the summer camp hadn't opened up yet. Mm -hmm. So they needed some help in their garden, uh, you know, like pulling weeds and uh, such. And so they picked us up. Uh, there was actually three hikers there and they were all looking for a place to stay that night. And they picked us up and took us to the summer camp and we worked in the garden for, I don't know, maybe about two hours or so. And then they gave us a bunk in this uh, the summer camp in the back of the bunkhouse. There was like four bunk beds. So we all had our own bunk bed and, and bedding. And it was it was very nice. And I, you know, one of my, just a little side note, a lot of my experience out there, I met people, you know, and some people who had nothing were some of the most uh, grateful, happy people I'd ever met in my life. They would give you the shirt off their back. And there were not a lot of people that I met on my experience that were not uh, kind or kind hearted, uh, you know. And so that a lot of that helped reaffirm a lot of faith in humanity that there are a lot of good people out there and mm -hmm. that it is, uh, you know, in the end, we're all capable of good and evil. You know, mm -hmm. it, I don't care what anybody says, it's a choice and we all have a choice to make. And it, it is a, it's a good thing to accept being good. And so I had met a lot of that out there and I remember this is one of the very distinct memories I have of my trip out there on this summer camp. Uh, I went to go hang out with the, the fellow that was working the head of the garden and the landscaping. And we're sitting there on this uh, hillside in the middle of the night, uh, just talking and I'm looking up at the mountainside and all of a sudden there's all these lights uh, everywhere. Just, it's like the entire night sky, except on the side of the hillside. And I'd never seen this before, having come from the Southwest and the, the West coast of the United States. And they, apparently there are fireflies and, uh, it was probably, uh, one of the most beautiful things that I had got to experience out there, getting to see that the first time. And they were really, there were probably thousands of them lighting up the side of the hill. And, uh, if, if anybody had, has never seen that before, that is something that, uh, will change your life for sure it is uh something worth experiencing and i had a lot of experiences like that there was um a few times uh out hiking i had come up across this old dam mm -hmm. and i i'm not sure where i was maybe virginia it seemed like virginia forever because there's like 500 miles of it that are part of the Appalachian. it's the entire shenandoah national park and like a couple hundred more miles and I hike, I'm hiking up to this dam and it's kind of stormy outside. It seems to always be raining on the East coast, you know, <laughs> it's so humid yeah. and there's rain all the time. And there's this old, old brick dam. I mean, this thing had to have been 70, 80 years old and it's just holding back this pond. And there's actually a, uh, Appalachian, uh, um, like a bunkhouse right next to it and it's getting the clouds are getting really dark and it's going to start coming down and so and most of these bunkhouses are three uh, walled shelters with a roof and there's usually a log book and a, a uh, like a, 
a broom inside so that you can clean it out and keep log of your stay there. And there's usually a fire pit with maybe a grill or something out front. It's just open for anybody hiking out? Yeah, it's anybody really? hiking. They're usually every 7 to 12 miles or so. Wow. Somewhere about okay. what you should spend on a normal day. And that's for, you know, I used a hammock and a, a tarp every night. So I actually didn't sleep in them very often. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's very comfortable. You can hike most of the trail with just a bet with no tents, just a backpack and, uh, you know, a, a sleeping bag and a mat, um, and sleep in these crazy. bunk houses. And all of a sudden the rain starts coming down and I'm sitting in this bunkhouse looking at this pond and this old ass green dam brick. It's just covered in moss and, and beautiful. And then all of a sudden I just start hearing all these frogs and they are, holy shit, they are everywhere. And like, they are all going off at the same time and there's nobody else out here with me. And it's just kind of like a real, another one of these surreal experiences where, you know, you're just kind of lost in nature and you, you're experiencing something and you're just like, Oh, it's really difficult to take it all in at once, but yeah. uh, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's very healing and it kind of, it's just another experience that helped me lead back up to where I needed to be. Yeah, you know, there's like, every once in a while, you come to a point in time in your life and it happens more often than not that you're just overwhelmed by everything that it is that's happening around you when there's absolutely nothing going on at all. Like, you're just sitting down there on the mountains, peering out into the darkness or the fireflies, whatever it is that may be around you on top of the mountains. And there's something about the creation around you that is just so overbearing that there's no set time that you could typically explore at all or what may be in tune with your own body and with your mind on what may be running through your head or being able to set yourself straight once again. You know, you, you get so bombarded with everything that may be going on in life itself, but then to just sit back and experience nothing for a period of time really helps to realign where it is that you may be or where it is that you may be going in the future. And even if not those things, it, it helps you really examine yourself and where it is that you are maybe at that current spot and where you need to be. And... It seems like nothing does that except nature itself. Uh, being out there alone with yourself, being forced to confront yourself. It's just an absolutely incredible experience. Well, Ian, that is all the time that we have for today. So I'm going to have to cut you short. And we'll definitely pick this up in the next episode. So we'll get together with you backstage and we'll set up a second uh, event or I guess place to record whatever it is that it may be um and we'll get you on and we'll finish up this story in the next uh i guess week and a half so thank you so much for coming on and guys i it's so good to be back with you tonight and thank you all for listening i truly from the bottom of my heart everybody that takes time to listen to one of these podcasts i know i'm taking time out of your day and that's uh not an easy thing to ask for so i really appreciate it i'm your host the shoe and this is the federalist faction